God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this Easter Sunday through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A thousand years ago or more, the controversy surrounding Jesus was that his body was stolen by grave robbers, and because his disciples couldn't come up with a body, they either believed he'd risen from the dead or just went ahead and spread the news that he had anyways, and the church is built on this massive misunderstanding or lie. Today on Easter, that controversy still is out there, among others, one of them being, he didn't really exist in the first place. Another one is, if he did exist, he was just a man, and people promoted him to something more than he really was later on. You know, a kind of uh, take him or leave him, Jesus, with no implications if you do or don't. Well, I'm here to tell you, there are implications, and you're here on Easter to hear about them. Now, when you look at the, would you look at what the man went through from the time of his arrest to his death on the cross, I don't think many who believed it happened would argue that he wouldn't have gone through all that suffering and die if there weren't implications for us. Now, we've been through Lent And we just experienced Good Friday, so Easter is not about going over the sufferings and death of Jesus all over again. It's about coming back to life. So let's go over what it must have been like for him to come alive after death. Let's look at the man and God who died and who now lives. After three days of no movement at all in his heart, his heart begins to beat again. His his veins, which had spilled blood all the way from Pilate's headquarters to the cross, now begin to flow with a fresh supply of warm, oxygenated blood. His lungs, after being flat, after that final cry with which he yielded up his spirit, began to expand and fill with the perfumed air of the tomb. And I say perfumed because, if you remember... Mary and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they put 75 pounds of spices in there in that tomb so that it would smell good as long as possible. And they also wrapped Jesus with some of that stuff. So when he awoke and smelled it, it would have smelled pretty powerful in there. His eyes, which, which were, had been closed in death, now open and squint to see What's around him? Would have been pitch dark in there before the stone was removed, and it was still dark outside too. Nevertheless, his eyes worked. His hands, which had been nailed, but now they spread all ten living fingers open before picking up the burial cloths and neatly folding them and putting them off to the side. His feet had a few days before dragged lifelessly as his body was placed in the tomb, but now they reach to the ground and plant all ten toes into the cool dirt. His skin now radiates heat and warmth after being cold and lifeless for a while. And we need to be reminded every year that his body still possesses five distinct wounds from nails and spear. His brain 
had been dead with no electrical activity going on up there. But now the networks are all firing on all, on all systems. His stomach, which hasn't had anything in it since Thursday, growls and struggles somewhat urgently that the fast is over. Do you think he was hangry? Behold the man, Jesus, God and man. He lives. He rises triumphantly from the dead and walks out of the grave into his creation, into a garden. You know, this place where he was buried had a garden in it. It was also a garden. These ancient tombs in Judea, you know, that they would dig out of the hillsides and the rocks, they weren't just random places to put dead people. They were tended to, cared for. The tombs were purchased so that someone could be paid to take care of the grounds around them. And this is one reason why Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. It's an honest mistake, really. She was understandably confused. She showed up first while it was still dark and the the disciples were back in town asleep. But she probably hadn't slept for days. As soon as day began to break after the Sabbath had ended, she went to to, to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been taken away. She found Peter and John first when she went back. And it's any wonder that they understood her at all. She was hysterical. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. But they all went back there, Peter and John sprinting. John doesn't say whether Mary ran or walked, but when the men got there and looked in, they wandered away, bewildered. But she stayed there. She stayed outside weeping, grieving at a double loss. First, the one she called Lord was crucified. Now his body had been moved without anyone giving her the memo, maybe even stolen, possibly. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him, she tells the angels when they just appear. Then she turned around and beheld the man. He asked her the very same question as the angels. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? It's not a mistake to confuse Jesus with a gardener. It's a mistake to confuse Jesus with the gardener she thought he was. You know, the caretaker of the cemetery garden. Jesus is no caretaker of cemeteries. In fact, he's quite adversary to anyone who wants to keep graves un untouched forever you see he's coming back to open all the graves all over the whole world even the ones in the deep deep sea now there are many caretakers for the cemetery of this world I don't mean the tending to the real cemeteries like the one we have out here you know the people in our church mow the lawn and keep it neat and orderly I'm talking about the gardeners who tend to a culture today which almost seems to promote death. Just take a look at what your kids, if they're old enough, are watching on their screens. It's not all fun and games and learning. Do you know what all the voices they're listening to are saying? Hey, but you know, we're all caught up in this. 
And if a culture of death isn't our entertainment or pop art, it's real life. For example, end-of-life decisions where terminating a life is becoming the more dignified and humane thing to do. The gardeners of this culture are our physicians who presumably take an oath to maintain and extend life to its natural end. Not to mention our lawmakers and representatives who are supposed to be advocates for national growth and prosperity. But hey, it's Easter. I don't want to get all political on you. You know, I could go on, but none of this is new. Even a first century Reader's Digest version of the Apostles' teachings described the culture of death like this. It says, and the way of death is this. First of all, it is evil and full of curse. Well, no kidding, right? Murders, adulterers, lusts, fornications, thefts, idolatries, magic arts, witchcrafts, rapines. I had to look this one up. You know what a rapine is? It's the false seizure of someone's property. Must have been a thing back then, huh? False witnessings, hypocrisies, double-heartedness, deceit, haughtiness, depravity, self-will, greediness, filthy talking, jealousy, overconfidence, loftiness, boastfulness, persecutors of the good, hating truth, loving a lie, not knowing a reward for righteousness, not leaving to good nor to righteous judgment, watching not for that which is good, but for that which is evil, from whom meekness and endurance are far, loving vanities, pursuing requital, not pitying a poor man, not laboring for the afflicted, not knowing him who made them, murderers of children, destroyers of the handiwork of God, turning away from him that is in want, afflicting him that is distressed, advocates of the rich, lawless judges of the poor, utter sinners. That's the, that's the Reader's Digest condensed version of death, according to the apostles. And at the end it says, be delivered children from all these. Well, who hasn't bought into at least one of these ways of thinking or acting? Every one of us. Repent, therefore. Be delivered from all these ways, children. You know, it was a curiosity, a curiosity about death and the idea that maybe it really wouldn't happen that brings all of us here together in the first place. It's as old as creation. It was a lie about death from Satan, the father of all lies, that drove the first two people to rebel against the source of life, our almighty God and creator. In the day that you eat that fruit I just told you not to eat, you shall surely die. That's what God said to them. And what happened? They did it anyways and fled from the gardener. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they hid, fearing for their lives. The God who had created them with his word, who had scooped Adam out of the dirt, the fertile soil of the earth, who had planted a garden called Eden and put the man and the woman into it to care for it and tend it, now strikes terror into their hearts. 
They know they had done wrong, or they knew it. They knew they were in trouble for buying the lie. Ah, God really didn't say. Eat. You're not really going to die. Go ahead. Eat. Indulge. Be like Him. Know all things. They chose death. And here we are, inheritors of that curse. Since then, the tension between God and mankind has been a clash of life versus death. But it didn't stop God, the supreme gardener of his creation, from taking a stroll into it and tending to it. So it should be be no surprise to us that when the word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, when the creator took an extended stole in his creation... He exercised the skill and patience of a master gardener. Behold the man, Jesus Christ, who tends his garden, who everywhere he went, pulled the weeds of blindness, paralysis, leprosy and death, unbelief and rebellion. Behold the man who sowed the seeds of life in his word, the good news of new life in him which lasts forever. For you and me and everyone. He tends his garden every day. He waters it with his word of forgiveness of sins, compassion, and love for all people, even the bad ones, even those who don't love him. He died and rose for everyone. Jesus promised life, but it would come through death, his death. And so when Mary Magdalene looked at the man who created the Garden of Eden, who prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and who was dead and buried in a tomb in a garden, she made the honest mistake of assuming he was just another gardener. Just some man whose job it was to keep the place neat and orderly. But he wasn't just a man. He is a gardener, but of a completely different sort. Here you and I are, at the dawn of his resurrection, in the fresh days of a new dawn, basking in the glow of life, with spring happening all around, overcoming the shadows of death. We're undoing a culture of death through this very service. Or I should more accurately say, God is undoing the culture of death for us through this service in which you and I are participating Church on Sunday isn't just a thing you go to. God is doing something for you and me in and through this service. He is serving us through His Word and sacrament here at the altar. Make it last beyond an hour or so. Come back next Sunday. Get more of Him. You know, you're out of your daily routine when you're in church. Make it a special routine set apart from the other routines in your life. Routinely experience a culture of life along with the culture of death so that you will endure and keep your eye on Jesus and the prize of life that lasts forever in a garden paradise. Join with Mary Magdalene in her honest mistake. Suppose the crucified and risen Christ to be the gardener. He is the gardener of a new heavens and new earth 
the caretaker of a culture of the new resurrection life for you and me. Behold the man who gives this life. Believe in his bodily resurrection and your own bodily resurrection. It's already begun in the waters of your baptism and which will be completed upon his return. If you haven't been baptized, let me know. You know, talk to me or text me in that number that's in your service folder. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait around. Remember, I said Easter has implications for everyone. It's not just a nice springy religious occasion. There is a judgment coming for every one of us, you know. Those who believe and are baptized are already judged innocent of sin. We're righteous in the sight of God and get e- you get eternal life on a new earth. Those who don't believe are already judged. And the implications are pretty severe. Eternal death without God. Exactly what some people desire in their hearts. So it will be for them. No Garden of Eden. But hey, I'm a living example. There's hope. All right? I used to hear about Jesus and think, eh, so what? Who cares? Well, I care now because I want to live forever. And I want you to have it too. For the faithful, here's one more Easter until the resurrection. Yes? One more. Your resurrection. Keep holding on to it. Keep celebrating it every Sunday as often as you can. I'll be here with you. We'll get there together. Let's continue to look at the God and the man. The only man with the authority to take his own life back up again after laying it down by his own authority. Behold the man who emerged from the grave and was immediately confused for the gardener. Behold the man whose resurrection means your resurrection. Behold the man who today feeds you with his body that rose from the dead in victory over death. Behold the man, and in him, behold yourself, holy and whole, forgiven, sins paid for by the wounds and death on the cross. You're loved by God, and you're free, free to love him back in thanks, and free to love one another for the benefit of others. May it be so for you, and may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.